0: This is Making It Up, a weekly culture news podcast focused on analyzing and debating whatever comes up of interest in creative culture. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Can. The format of this podcast is like catch-up at the start, followed by two main items of news, one chosen by Eugene and one chosen by myself.
1: We pick our topics from the Making briefing, which is an email we send out twice a week filled with current news, interesting links, and more. On Making It Up, we talk through the things we're most interested in and try to come to some sort of conclusion on the state of culture, media, tech, food, whatever it may be in our modern times.
0: Also, if you like this podcast, the best thing you can do for it is share your favorite episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. How are you? I'm all right. We have a lot to get through today.
1: To that point, I would say that our preparation for this one has been on point.
0: I wonder why that is. The confluence of things just worked out.
1: I don't know. I think maybe it's just that sometimes we have existing opinions about things and those existing opinions make it a bit easier for us to write down what are the most important parts. Because sometimes if you're tackling something that you're not as familiar with, you kind of need to do a bit more research.
0: Yeah, that's true. Today, both of our subjects are things we are familiar with. And are near and dear to our hearts. But before we get to that, we have a bunch of actually structured follow-up. So today's banter section is also prepared, weirdly.
1: Yes, and if this is your first time listening, this is where we actually talk about random things that have come up in the last few days. And sometimes they just track back to things we talked about in previous briefings.
0: Okay, so I think the first thing that we should address is last episode, we talked about Nardwar. And then you got some insider information.
1: Yes. So what's interesting is that I got hit up on Instagram by Spencer K. And he's like, Nardwar does not sound like that or act like that in real life. Which I think in retrospect... Wait, wait,
0: wait. Can, you, can you say what that is just real quick?
1: So that being his persona of Nardwar. Yeah. So his persona being... Really outlandish, really wacky. I don't know what's the right word. Like, kind no, of I think that's sufficient. Just wanted to be clear yeah.
0: that that isn't some kind of negative euphemism, but just that Nardwar yeah. IRL is not his persona as we see it.
1: I don't know if I was giving people the impression that I actually thought that was his real persona, we, and I think if if that's I mean, the case, we
0: mentioned it, that we had questions about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, it makes me wonder what i was thinking to think that was his persona or maybe he really was that so regardless i think that's neither here nor there but uh what spencer said and i hope he's okay with me talking about this on (laughs) on this podcast but he's like it's very much an act while on camera which is awkward if you go chat with him and expect the same character ha 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 yeah and i asked him i'm like does knowing his real persona detract from what he means to you and he said not at all It humanizes him and makes his obscurities and idiosyncrasies more interesting to me.
0: I think this ties really nicely into the throwaway conversation we had about Macon showing more personality in terms of social media and just our general communications with the public. Not necessarily in the form of editorial features, but the things that are Instagram captions or Twitter or this idea of this brand personality. And we were saying we wanted to be more fun, more irreverent, just in always showing some kind of personality as opposed to just being like straight, always a serious professionalism.
1: Yeah, and maybe I should give a little bit of background behind that. So if you've been following Macon for the last, I don't know, let's say two years or whatever, I would say in the very beginning, our tone was super serious. Yeah, And I think that the reason why it was positioned as such is that when you're serious, it's a little bit easier because it's a little bit more black and white. And then once you start coming down, I don't even know if coming down is the right word, but if you just start moving downstream a little bit and make it more personable or casual, or you even try to make it a little bit more comical, right? You enter this, I don't want to say dangerous area, but it's like, it could be perceived as being corny or whack, or or maybe you hit it home. So I think that's part of it. But I think now it's honestly to a point where I don't really give a shit. It's like, that's uh, kind of who we are.
0: No, I don't think... I, I think that is actually an inaccurate framing of why we started out with the tone of voice we did. When we came out, we had to be serious in a way. We had to take ourselves seriously. And you had to show that this was a serious venture. That you... And Alex and myself, like the people involved were not just here for a minute and we're leaving. And so it was like, as a new player, you had to sort of give off those vibes.
1: Interesting, because I never looked at it that way. I looked at it more from the perspective that the seriousness was just easier and more consistent. I mean, it's that that too,
0: but I don't think it's just that we did it because it's easy. I think we also needed to do it as a new company.
1: Got it.
0: I mean, who knows? We clearly were both there and have different opinions on what we were doing. So who knows how other people saw it? We're clearly not very good at guessing.
1: <laughs> um, if I keep running down the order here, uh, also shout outs to Corrado F., who I didn't address him by first name in the previous Making It Up, but he's the one that actually was interested in the Making Classroom. Mm-hmm. And I guess for us, and for me personally, like I have this expectation that people haven't listened to Making It Up. I guess they if, if people listen to it, they'll seek you out. And then this was sort of like one of those validating moments. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's really cool to start a series and then have people excited for the next drop. We have a couple of series going now. Making Classroom, Making Money Moves, Social Effects, and having people ask, when is the next one coming out? Or I'm really excited for this series is a nice validator.
1: Yeah. And lastly, so this was like hot off the quote unquote digital press, but I got this email from Josie K and it was in response to my editor's letter. So she hit me up and actually she was really curious and it's a pretty long email, which for me personally, I always love receiving emails because... Emails unlike social media, they're just structured in a way where you can actually format them properly to communicate, you know, bigger ideas versus like an Instagram thread or like like even typing on your phone on Instagram in in the messaging section is like annoying for me. So, I always look forward to them. Anyways, do you want to read one quote from her? Sure. I got to pull it up actually. Oh, no wait, I got it in here. Hold on.
0: Here I have it. You shared her email with the team, and I'm going to read a quote from the email. She said, I've seen the volume of output you speak about in the letter. There's a constant push and pull between management who is pressured to bring in the dollars and the designers who want to execute their vision. So far, I've seen dollars always win. I'm just going to skip down to her ending question. So how do we make it financially make sense for management to be on board without fueling another conspicuous consumption? And I also like this email because she's looking to you for a continuation of this conversation.
1: I, it's funny. It came in at such a, how do I put this? It came in at at, at, a, at a time when I probably shouldn't have responded right away because I, I had to get ready for this and I have some other stuff on my to-do list. But sometimes when you get an email and you're like, you're kind of fired up in a good way. You're like, oh shit, let me like respond to this. So I kind of broke it down and... This is actually really interesting because I think it plays into the hands of my topic today as well.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: 100%. So for me, like, I I looked at what she wrote as an interesting sort of like challenge, too, because it makes us question, like, hey, well, you know what? At the end of the day, I feel your pain, and I'm pretty sure we amongst a broader contingency of people that are somehow associated with fashion feel that quote unquote pain, right? I think that right now it's such a big challenge that is a mix of both, both, both like innate structures. I don't even know if structure is the right word, but it's more like things that are innately built into us as humans meets the sort of like societal and cultural sort of structures. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things to unpack there that if you really look more deeply into it, you're like, oh, like maybe this is actually a really big problem and to solve it requires some sort of admission that these are the problems and if we are to fix them, maybe we need to tackle this, this, and this. Knowing that maybe it's even impossible because maybe from a biological standpoint, it's like really challenging to tackle this. And I, I can talk about that maybe a bit later.
0: Yeah, I mean, right before you get into the subject for the day... I wanted to mention that I met up with Seth last night and interviewed him about 502 Bad Gateway, his new publication. And Seth and I actually talked about a lot of the same subjects. I knew before going into that interview that today we'd be talking about Noah. Seth works a day job at ASOS in e-commerce and he's always been really dedicated to doing his own thing on the side to sort of balance out the things that he does nine to five. And so he self-published this really good looking publication that we're going to be featuring in making upcoming. And actually the whole thing is about what is the right way to do fashion from his stance, because it's low risk for him, right? He's not representing a clothing company, so he can be demanding and he can as a consumer say, this is the correct way. That I think you should consume and interact with fashion on different Mm -hmm. levels, but obviously, like when we're going into that conversation, it does get complicated. So I feel like I've pre-prepped for today's interview by stealing his thoughts. Shout out to Seth; I know he'll hear this.
1: Nice. Oh yeah, maybe we should we can round things off, talk about some of the stories we we published, and then get right into it.
0: Yeah. This week, we published the third episode of Social Effects, hosted by Edward KB, and it's with Tyson Wheatley.
1: And then we also did a story with Crates, and shoutouts to Repeat Pattern, who is a super talented guy based outside of Tokyo, and he took the initiative and did everything from the photos to the interview itself, as well as writing it. So it's always nice when someone has this sort of like desire to go and tell a story and telling the story of Crates, which I personally didn't know about before. It's Q-R-A-T-E-S, and what they do is really interesting. The way they describe themselves is, Crates is a marketplace where artists can create vinyl records on demand directly for music fans. My subject is NOAA, Consumer Power. So Noah, the clothing brand, which I think they prefer to be referred to as as opposed to a fashion brand, they posted this piece on their blog as well as their Instagram titled Consumer Power. It was a piece that focused on the power and capabilities of consumers to influence culture and brands versus the other way around with brands dictating things. And they also sort of went into the ethics and how things are made. As well as what you're doing by supporting certain brands that maybe are a little bit unethical and or they're prioritizing certain things over other things, like certain things being like profits over the ethical treatment of, of people making their, their items, for example. So I think that it's a, it's a really interesting sort of delicate relationship that exists between brands and consumers. I mean, in theory, in the lens of consumer products, if consumers don't consume and buy your stuff, brands essentially die and go out of business. Versus the flip side, right? Like, you know, if if consumers...
0: I mean, you can just say the reverse. Consumers consume. Brands keep doing business. Consumers yeah. stop consuming. Brands die and go out of business.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to read you some quotes. They're kind of long, but I think they are... I think they're necessary. Yeah. One of the quotes, one of the paragraphs suggests, we are all guilty of this, including all of us as individuals here at NOAA. We've all been raised in a consumer-based society. For most of us, where our things come from and what that means was never part of the conversation. It's only in recent history that most of us have realized what we purchase matters. If you think of your purchases as votes, then it stands to reason that when the majority of consumers either reject or demand something, Companies respond. That's what we mean when we say consumer power. Through our individual consumer decisions, we can have a say in how things are done. No company will continue to produce something no one wants. If enough people vote with their dollars, companies will eventually shift gears to meet demand. And then in closing, it's not a long piece, but I want to kind of jump towards the end there. And the concluding sort of statement is, are we willing to push back against the mass of people dictating what is cool and what isn't? Are we willing to redefine what makes a brand cool and face the social backlash of not fitting in? Obviously, the answer for us at NOAA is yes. It comes with consequences. It makes doing business more complex. It makes our products more expensive. And to be perfectly honest, our business less profitable. We're not complaining. It's a choice we have made. We have factored in the well-being of others as part of the NOAA economy and consider the combination of ethical choices with a smaller profit margin a tremendous success. We understand we're not for everyone. Our purpose is not to be the biggest, but we do hope that wherever you spend your money, you do so with purpose and thoughtfulness.
0: Do you want to unpack those quotes a little bit before we go into the pushback?
1: In regards to that, the way I interpret it, and I think there is room for interpretation here in terms of how you see it, because based on the reactions, and obviously you just alluded to it, the pushback, People interpret it differently, right? Yeah. For me, my my interpretation is that it's kind of along the lines of of what I mentioned at the beginning. It's like certain things stop getting produced, they get taken off the menu because there isn't a demand for it, a sufficient demand for it, right? So that's in many ways a real world application of voting with your dollars. Yeah. I think restaurants are a good example because they have somewhat of an opportunity to be much more flexible with a menu. So if I don't know, that sort of salmon special isn't doing well, then obviously when it's time to re-up and reorder, they're like, oh, hey, you know what? It's been two weeks and we still have almost three quarters left of these portions. Maybe we should take this off because it's not doing well or Mm -hmm. it's not being marketed well, whatever it may be. But that's a good example.
0: That is. I think for me to refer to the first chunk that you read, it is something that's obvious. He's not talking just about apparel. He's really... Sorry, I say he thinking of Brendan Babensian, but it could have been someone else. Noah is saying that how you spend your money has influence, which is not actually a new concept. But I think it is something that we are reckoning with more and more. It used to be however you used your money was based off of what you wanted, and that was it. And could you afford it? But now, because of the situation that the world is in, environmentally, politically, etc., If you have money to spend, you have to think about the influence your money has. Even Mm -hmm. if it's not entirely clear to you as an individual, there is increasingly individual responsibility over your dollars. However much money or no money you might have.
1: Yeah, That's how I interpreted that first chunk. What
0: about the second half?
1: I mean, for me, this is where it gets really complex. And this is where we need to sort of drive home the admission that this is a super complex problem. Oh yeah. And there are a lot of things like I said I alluded to it and foreshadowed a bit and I think the biology of how we as sapiens sort of look at community, look at belonging is also critically important because fashion as an industry largely exists because of that, right? There's yeah. a certain level of insecurity that is bandaged up through fashion. I don't know that I just the first thing that came to mind. That's part of it, right? So to undo that is also something biological. Like how do you reduce a certain innate need for belonging, tribalism, all that stuff, which fashion brings into. So,
0: Yeah, I think the hairy part is because this piece doesn't just link it to environmental destruction, but it's linked to everything that is cool.
1: Yeah. You know, this actually kind of relates back to That email I sent back to Josie. And I broke it down essentially into two things. These are the things that I'm most interested in. I'm sure there's more. And I also admit that I'm representing one part of the fashion puzzle. right? More from the media side and a consumer perspective. So I was like, well, fair and sustainable practices. I think this is critical. This could be both from a pricing and an environmental standpoint. right? And you could break that down. It could be more... It could be along the lines of how do you pay your workers?
0: Mm-hmm. Where do you where get do you your materials? Your materials
1: exactly. A lot of things. And I think that is so complex that it's easy for me to just be like, hey, take care of that. But I just want to put that one out there. The other one that I'm also really interested in, which maybe I'm interested in because it's so futuristic, it's like the intersection of fashion and identity. I kind of talked about it a little bit in the beginning where if Fashion solves one of the things that we on a biological level seek and that's a sense of belonging and people to be surrounded by that are a group that we feel safe around. Then what does that mean, right? Because that is something that is much more difficult to, I don't know, it's in many ways something difficult to overcome. So that's another thing. And I think that's a that's part where I feel it is loosely spoken about in this, but it doesn't really fully address. And not to say I was asking them to address it. I just think it's something that comes to mind because it's like, the part that's really important is like, are we willing to redefine what makes a brand cool and face the social backlash of not fitting in? Yeah. Like you're basically fighting against the biology of being cast an outsider and being okay with it. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's not just are you willing to be environmentally responsible and think about sustainability on an environmental level, but can you strike out on your own as an individual and ignore everything happening around you, ignore the societal trends? And like you said, like that's against our natural biology, no matter how much we might think that we are independent thinkers and dress ourselves based off of what we like. It's not, we don't operate in those vacuums. I think what's interesting to me in this paragraph that is similar to something that comes up in the pushback comments that we'll get into is that directly after that question, this piece reads, obviously the answer for us at NOAA is yes. So the piece does read like they are positioning themselves as an answer to this question.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: However, I don't think that's necessarily unpalatable, which comes up in the pushback like, oh, it's just an advertising ploy. Yes, I see how it reads that way, but they are publishing on their own platform. And this is going into what we said earlier about brands having personality and showing their own personas. So instead of being oh, the strict professionalism, we're only just going to be really shallow and surface level. This is really doubling down into this is what makes us us, which you can read as advertising or not. yeah, you want to get into yeah. some of the things on Instagram that people said?
1: Yeah, so some of the pushback include, and these aren't these aren't in chronological order, not that it really matters. So this is from at Mr. Working class. Why should consumers be blamed for corporations? bad business practices. We purchase products in good faith with money earned honestly. Why do we have to know and follow the money trail as if we're complicit? Consumers don't dictate the market. Marketing such as your post above and advertising influences and dictates consumer behavior. I'm all for responsible consumerism, fair business practices and all, but no one should ever tell anyone how to spend their hard-earned money nor be shamed by it. The burden for big bad corporations to change should be put on them, not on the consumers. Okay, I'll keep I'll keep reading. Oh, should I? Address You're that no,
0: no, no. Let's we have to address it. We have to address it. Otherwise, yeah. we'll just move on until the next comment. I think the base level about this comment is that this person read it as being blamed and being shamed. The feeling I didn't yeah. The feeling that this person gets from this post. I'm not saying that this is what you or I feel, but I think we should acknowledge that this post comes from a person who's feeling. Blamed and feeling guilty or feels yeah. that Noah's post wants you to feel guilt.
1: And I I, I never got that feeling. I, I don't think that... And I also don't think that Noah themselves would be like, hey, you're too poor to afford our shit. Fuck off kind of thing. But it's interesting because I, I think a lot of people just didn't really understand the positioning of Noah. I and mean, like some people are like, oh, you're selling like $80 hoodies. Well, yeah, they're $80. But I mean, if you break it down, I'm sure... There is a reason why it costs eighty dollars, but I mean that's the thing. It's like if you don't like it, that's fine too. No, but I think
0: it's more complicated than that. I'm not saying that this is how I feel, but I I think we shouldn't just gloss over the feeling consumers might have of being patronized or condescended to, of saying, "Oh, so our money's not good enough," or it's our fault. Now for the way the world is.
1: Yeah. One thing I wanted to say was the burden for big bad corporations change should be put on them, not on the consumers. But you have to realize that big bad corporations, it's not the stakeholders that dictate the direction of the corporation. It's the shareholders. So in reality, like your interests are never going to be really put at the forefront.
0: But I think what this is getting at, I don't disagree with you. But I think let's we should talk about that feeling that an individual consumer has where their dollar doesn't matter. No matter how much NOAA or other companies or we might say your money has influence, this comment shows that the regular consumer doesn't believe that.
1: So you think that that's the point that's worth unpacking is, do we actually have the ability to influence I just don't want
0: us to very quickly say that what Noah's published is accurate and how come more people aren't on their side? Because I think that it's worth acknowledging how the regular consumer feels, which is evident in this comment. Yeah. You might disagree with this person's stance, right? That consumers don't dictate the market and that big bad corporations are responsible for their own behavior. But I think it is indicative of what the average consumer believes about their money, that their money is not influential, even if they try to spend it, honestly, doesn't affect things.
1: Do you think that's because they look at themselves as a singular entity?
0: Yeah, I think and that's I think part that's of it. kind
1: of what it comes down to because you have seen how things that were seemingly doing really well at one point in time basically disappear. Not disappear, but... With within like half a generation, they cease to be relevant. Maybe not close-up shop, right? So I think that there is some sort of value in that. But like I said, I think that's the one part that needs to be sort of honed in on is that you're not wrong in thinking that certain people feel as though they don't have the the ability to to effectuate change. And I, I agree, like maybe one person can't do it, but I think one person that is affected by this conversation might also strike up a dialogue. And I think this is kind of what is the outcome of this. It's really about bringing to the surface a, a really difficult and hairy problem and having a semi <laughs> a semi-organized dialogue around it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I think what I also want to respond to based off of what I said that I find important about this comment, is remembering when we talk about these subjects to not be pretentious and to not sound like I as an individual do things so much better than all of you plebes. Yeah. Because I'm not changing my stance, right? Or like Noah doesn't have to change their stance on... Consumer responsibility, consumer power, but it's saying those things in a way that doesn't exclude people, that doesn't make them feel unwanted or embarrassed by what they're doing.
1: Yeah. If I'm to go a level deeper, because you're right, that the pretension element is is something that you can't really dismiss. You some people have the luxury of spending, you know, an extra thirty dollars or whatever on the same piece of clothing that is available for much cheaper. Yeah. So like, for example, if I can only afford, I don't know, unique lower Hanes, should I be shamed or should I be, should I be made to feel shitty because I can't afford an equivalent Noah t-shirt?
0: Well, definitely not. Right? I think not. That, that, that's I think valid. That's a, yeah, that was a rhetorical question, right? No, you sh- yeah. People shouldn't feel ashamed. I don't want people to be, Ashamed of their purchases.
1: Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to get at here is that are we at a point where there are no cheaper ethical options? And I think that may be, that might be a problem into itself. A lot of times people use the example of Nike and whatever slave labor, which I think is a very dated belief. Maybe there's a, some shadow factory out there that doesn't adhere to the requirements, but I think overall, like maybe that's not entirely valid right now, but people like to use that one. So I think my point is if that, if Nike is one thing and people believe it's unethical, is there a cheaper, more ethical solution? And should we be asking people to switch options? I don't think so by any stretch, but I'm trying to see if there's like,
0: I think I see this as similar to talking about food and vegetarianism. I think that's where the conversation is going to go, where it's not, you can never buy Uniqlo again. You can never buy Nike again. We can't say you all need to save up all your money and buy Noah, especially being you know, very self-aware of how much Noah costs and how much other products cost. But I think it's, can we do the best with what we have and the options we have? Instead of being holistically, okay, it's ethical consumerism or nothing, or you might as well just not buy clothes. It's, if I don't have to have a hoodie, can I save up to get a hoodie from a company I believe in versus buying the first one from Primark that I see? That's sort of how I see it. Because I was thinking about, okay, I don't want to feel ashamed or make other people ashamed, but what do I want people to do? Because I still want us to do better as consumers. And I think it's, you want them to feel encouraged and able that this is something I can do and that I want to do. That I, I'm going to feel good doing. Do you want to get into the next comment? This one does go into the people not having the resources to vote with their dollars. At
1: a man named Cletus, I had to figure out how to say that because I couldn't tell where the word <laughs> started. But men aimed. he said, this is a terrible take. Is the goal here to shift blame away from the people who decide the corporate ethics of these companies directly and on t- and onto the people who are also victims of manipulation and exploitation? The truth of the matter that you overlook here is that most people don't have the resources to vote with their dollar. I, I agree that we have a responsibility to To shop ethically, but to say that it is the consumer's fault that companies like Nike produce products with what is essentially slave labor is ridiculous. Making the mega-rich decision makers at these companies slightly less mega-rich temporarily is going to change nothing in the long term. And to me, this whole thing comes across as another manipulative gag to get my money. I'm willing to give you all the benefit of the doubt because you seem like good people making quality products ethically, but is using the misdeeds of other companies to schlep your own goods really within your personal or corporate ethics? Take a stand against big businesses screwing the rest of the world, but please don't tell the people who are getting screwed that it's their fault. What's more, don't imply that people that are getting screwed can only absolve themselves by buying your products. Too Long didn't read. Even though voting with your dollar is a goal to strive towards, telling people that unethical business practices are their fault is ridiculous unless you're suggesting action much more severe than changing spending habits. I mean, it's a very defeatist attitude, right? In many ways, like I think that's the one thing that both of the comments suggest. For me personally, like if that's is that the case, then why don't we just fucking pack it up and go home right now, right? I can one hundred percent say that people within Nike feel the pain of what they're part of. I mean, that's that goes without saying because I've spoken to people that both work there currently, seen their comments. As well, people that used to work there, and that, and there is part of them that's like, well, what the fuck is my whole purpose here if I'm here just to like sell more shoes, right? Yeah. Like, I think that there is a sort of impact that's happening on a deeper level, and what is not being recognized here is the impact of. Oh, it sounds like I'm. I'm not. No, would never consider themselves this, but cultural thought leaders. Uh-huh. Kind oh of my like, gosh. People that are like driving uh, can, home. Can we
0: walk that back? Can we walk that back?
1: What, do you want to use a different word? Uh, what inf- I don't know what to say. But basically, people that are moving the needle and making people think about difficult things such as Noah. You for sure recognize that it's influencing people and how they think. Yeah. At these companies. I don't think that you're... I know for a fact... That someone that's, that works as a design director at Nike, he's like, he's told me, like, I've listened to the Noah interview that we did with Brendan, like, twice. Yeah. That's like, you know, like an hour and a half interview. I'm like, because there's some sort of resonance there. Oh, definitely. I don't for a second think that this is a shift that's going to happen in the next three years. And all of a sudden Nike will change overnight. But if you don't hold people accountable, there'll never be a change. Yeah. And if you don't actually try, then what's the point? Right. Like, I, I think that's the one thing that people need to understand. Like, if you don't go and, and actually put in the effort and recognize that there are certain things that, if there are shifts that you want to potentially be part of and, and movements you want to be part of, not everything is going to be accomplished in one lifetime. And this is something that Jason Maiden like drilled home to me. Is like, you look at some of the things that you want to achieve and. There are certain things that are beyond us and beyond you know, our 60 to like 80 years on this planet, mm-hmm. right? And this also tips into something that I think is really interesting. And it's like something that Alex sent over. It was a video interview with Simon Sinek about an upcoming book he's doing that was inspired by a book from the late 80s. And it talks about like infinite versus uh, finite companies. And most corporations... Are built almost in a finite type manner where they're trying to maximize profits and they don't they don't really value stakeholder interest as well as like the broader interest so much as like, hey, let's maximize profits, right? Yeah. So to that point, it's like when you choose to not think about the long term, you're automatically shifting your company to become a finite company. How do you change your thinking? Let me refer actually to the response I wrote to Josie, which came at the weirdest time because it's so relevant to this conversation. So, to answer a question, so how do we make it financially make sense for management to be on board without fueling another bit of conspicuous consumption? So, basically, if you're an infinite company, you'll always be around, right? So, in the long term, you know, whether it's a 100, 200, 500 year old company, like you're, if you, look at something like that, then obviously in the long term you win out. I think also people seek purpose more than ever in their businesses. Obviously Nike, Colin Kaepernick. And I would say that overall, the majority of the comments for this Noah piece on Instagram were positive. Oh, that's not that's not accurate because like obviously people that follow Noah are probably a fan. And I think maximizing profits over the short term is not good. Because what does it mean when you blow up your brand? And blow up could mean both blow up in terms of increased popularity, but also blow it up and, and fuck it up, Mm -hmm. you know, in three years. Like, think about how many brands that had these massive meteoric rises and then they disappeared or like they never ever recaptured what their previous heights. And then lastly, this is like the hippie shit. It's like as global citizens, what does it mean when we're not leaving this place better off than how we entered it? Right. So I think that that's the part of sustainability. What does it
0: mean when we don't try? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, these are all thoughts that also have been, they've been especially important because I've been listening to this podcast, like the end of the world, which talks about this existentialist human crisis that we're facing where humans have been around for like 10,000 years, like sapiens have been around for 10,000 years, but it's, there's a real probability that we might not make it another 1,000 years. So it's like thinking about, well, what does that mean, right? Yeah.
0: There's a lot of things in there that you just said that I also agree with and have been thinking about. But I'm going to address two things from my take from this comment. I want to see like what's valid, right? Like I want to look at these pushbacks and think about, well, why does this person have this stance? And one thing I think that's evident in this comment is they think it is hypocritical. They don't use the word hypocritical, but they think it's hypocritical that Noah is championing this cause while still selling products and sort of using the championing of consumer power to sell their products. But that goes back to your point where, you know, Noah is trying to push the needle and what is the alternative is the alternative. We're just going to not make products and just give it in. That's, that doesn't seem like a solution either. So yeah, I think this is something Seth said yesterday. The boring thing, the boring answer is stop consumption and stop production in order to be environmentally responsible and to be the most ethical but in light of the fact that you know no no consumption is never going to happen and no production is a terrible answer then trying to produce to the best of your abilities and having that influence other companies is like what we can go for Right, and if Noah's not going to be the one to say it, then who else is better to say it? If it's in CNN or the news, I think that arguably has less impact than when a company doing the same thing as the perpetrators says, "Actually, there's a better way to do this." Yeah. So that's just my phrasing of something that you also said, and yeah. But I, I, there's something I really strongly want to disagree with in this comment. The point where this person says, even though voting with your dollar is a goal to strive toward. I think that is just the inaccurate premise because this comment says, oh, voting with your dollar is a goal. In actuality, you are always voting with your dollar, even if you are buying a cookie or a coffee or however you're spending your money. Even when you pay your electricity bill, that's a kind of voting even within constraints, you can say, oh, I'm so constrained. There is no other way for me to spend it. I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think every spending you do is a choice that you make.
1: Yeah. Because it's a finite resource, right? It's like basically something there prevents you from spending it there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's it from me. Did we come to any kind of conclusion here?
1: For me, the two conclusions are pushing the ethics, even if you might think it's inconsequential. I can guarantee that, like, if people are, if Noah in and to themselves is able to spread a message that, that drums up conversation, you can guarantee that other people within this world, like, well, let's call it modern contemporary men's clothing slash fashion, like people are paying attention. So are other people that might be inspired by Noah and that also will influence like big corporations. Um, that's one way of looking at it, like the ethical side of production, consumption, why we need things. The other side, the more challenging one is <laughs> the biological side. I guess let's say tomorrow, hypothetically, you took, a, you were able to take a pill and suddenly how you evaluated people was not based on the way they dressed or how they looked, but something else. Mm-hmm. And it just removed that. As a way of uh, of creating identity through clothing.
0: Okay, so my subject this week is. Reddit, banned in China, is reportedly set to land $150 million investment from a Chinese censorship powerhouse. And that title is taken straight off of Gizmodo. If I had to rephrase it, I would say Reddit is going to get $150 million from Tencent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Reddit currently is about to get a new round of investment funding of about dollars, And half of that is likely to come from Tencent, which is the parent company of WeChat, this massive tech company in China, bigger in China than anything is in the States. Because the situation in China is that technology is really closely aligned with the Chinese government. Essentially, the tech companies execute the vision of the CCP when it comes to censorship and filtering ideas and just monitoring the citizens of China in all kinds of ways, in digital devices, in their interactions in the city, everywhere that you interact with a digital thing. And even not because surveillance can be hidden, can be secret. So the irony that a lot of people see is that Reddit itself as a website is actually blocked in China And to further the irony, Reddit has always come out and said that they champion free speech. And it is what it is. Like, I agree that Reddit is a forum based off of this idea of free speech for everyone in an even more holistic way than Twitter is. So it's kind of funny, like funny in a serious, not really laughing way, that the company most closely aligned with censorship in China is really getting into bed with the US tech company that stands for free speech. So the question is, the question that's interesting to me, and I think this is related to our fashion conversation, is how does the origin of money change the shape of companies? Except now we're talking about shareholders as opposed to consumers. I don't have an answer as to what, if anything, this means for Reddit. But I think we have to think about that. If Tencent puts in $150 million, that's not a small amount of power in some way. If we say that our consumer dollars equal voting, so much more so Tencent's dollars. And what do their votes mean as to the future of Reddit? And the shape of technology in the U.S.
1: So it's interesting because do you remember one of the other things I proposed in terms of uh, today's making it up?
0: Not really, because I just gravitated towards this, and then
1: because the Guggenheim one, research the rest. The Guggenheim one, I do know that one. Yeah, Yeah. the the Nan Golden
0: Guggenheim piece.
1: This is actually in the same vein where Nan Golden, famous photographer, stormed the Guggenheim and they were protesting where the Guggenheim got funding and donations because it came from the family that owns uh, OxyContin. The Sackler family. Yeah, owns OxyContin. Contin, Yeah. OxyContin? I think I said that right. So anyways... uh, or what happened was basically they were storming the Guggenheim because they're protesting that so many people have died at the hands of OxyContin and Mm -hmm. opiates in general. And like, how dare you take this money? And you know what? Honestly, at this point in time, like the the biggest challenge that you have to recognize, I think, is, and it's something we haven't talked about for a while now, but it's like, is it net positive? And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot too. And this is me in full transparency, is that like if you look at where you take money, sometimes I'm not saying you take dirty money, but I'm just saying like the money and the funding you take, if it's able to propel something that allows you to do something bigger and better as the end game or is like throughout the kind of course of uh, a company or brand's lifeline, and if it's an infinite brand or company, then hey, maybe it's worth it because it allows you to get to that next level so I
0: mean, this golden news is even more interesting because it's very clear, this circle that you were describing. Because Nan Golden herself, her work is part of the Guggenheim collection. Yeah. And she is in charge of this group that she founded, that she helped create called Pain Prescription Addiction Intervention Now, which protests the Met, the Smithsonian, the Guggenheim because of their acceptance of funding from the Sackler family. But that money, in a circuitous way, kind of goes back in her pocket. Mm -hmm. So it is what you're saying. I guess the math that we're doing is the money Guggenheim takes from the Sackler family, which, though it comes from OxyContin, goes to Golden, who protests the opioid crisis. Which ultimately is yeah. net value greater, is I guess the argument that we're presenting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very risky argument.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It is really interesting. And I, I don't know if the Tencent Reddit situation is comparable in the same way. I was on Reddit and there are a lot of conspiracy theories surrounding t- the Tencent um, stake Okay, so I'm just going to read a conspiracy theory. It doesn't mean I believe this one, but it's on Reddit on a post about this 10 cent chipping in to the funding. This person says, I personally think Reddit has serious problems they are hiding from their users, particularly now as rumors swirl that the company may be preparing to file an IPO. Typically, cons- companies like to sweep all their mess under the bed to look attractive for Wall Street before they're filing. There's a problem with corporate influence masquerading as individual thought. And there's like other even more conspiracy theory like things about how much Reddit is doing what China wants and is already secretly banning and censoring people on Reddit in favor of cleaning up their company for an IPO. I guess I mentioned that because... The funding, in a way, even if it doesn't change the nature of the product, people become suspicious that it is. As in, it's hard to distinguish: did the product actually change because of this money, or do we just suddenly see everything through this lens?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have like so much of a an opinion because conspiracy theories. Like, I don't know enough. So much as someone has, maybe more more experience with IPOs and whatnot. The the one thing that.
0: No, but I think what I'm trying to address is not the conspiracy theory, but the fact that like the existence of the funding, even if it doesn't change Reddit for the worse, wow. we start wondering if they did it because of that. It's like yeah. if you found out the H&M parent company put funding into NOAA, NOAA might not change anything about the way they do things. They, they might even do their supply chain and production better, but you would wonder. You would think, mm-hmm. oh, like they took money from the H and M parent company. By the way, this is all hypothetical. This did not happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do
0: you see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's a tough one for me to speculate because if there's no change, then it's hard for you to think that something's up. You know what I mean?
0: I think it's just human to sort of see things where they aren't necessarily. I'm not saying this is a good thing. I think it's like with the clues that we have, we start looking for evidence of it. I'm going to read one more quote that I think asks some really good questions. And it's from this guy named Adrian Shabazz from Freedom House. He says The question becomes who is going to change as a result of that relationship? Referring to Tencent and Reddit. Is it that these companies are investing just to make money, or are they trying to slowly change the norms of how these companies operate or even gather important intellectual property as a result of being on the inside? The broader question becomes, in the future, is the internet going to make China more open, liberal, and tolerant? Or because we're all connected, are we going to start adopting Chinese practices of censorship and surveillance? And we've said it before on Making It Up that we probably shouldn't do any future predictions because we are bad at it. And actually, all humans are bad at predicting what's going to happen. But I think that question of... Will China become more tolerant as a result of the internet, or will our internet become more restricted because of China is something to observe.
1: Yeah, I mean you make a prediction. And if if it's not true, well, actually it doesn't matter.
0: Okay. My prediction my prediction is that surface level, China's not gonna change. They'll keep the firewall up. Their tech for censorship will only get better. Their AI and algorithms will improve. But beneath that surface, the internet will continue to further penetrate into the regular Chinese citizen. And that is going to change it from the bottom up. The average Chinese citizen will slowly, hopefully, this is the optimistic prediction, become more liberal and tolerant and open-minded as a result of access to the internet.
1: What do you think it signals by virtue of Reddit allowing themselves to take money from these people? Do you think that is actually... I guess maybe this is the question to be answered, right? Because if the general sentiment is that this is not so good money and the public knows that it's not so good money, do we go and... Is that is that sort of the signal? I'm more in in, in tune with a signal like along those lines than just like speculating.
0: Mm. Um, I mean, in order to in order to be on the same, in order to be consistent as the first half of this podcast, I feel like we have to say the money makes a difference. It is ideologically bad, and if possible. If we spend our attention the way we spend our dollars, we shouldn't spend it on Reddit. Yeah. I, I That's like a really hard line. But it feels like that's what we've been saying for the duration of this episode is that no matter how little money you have or how little attention you feel that you, you have control over, you have some power. And you get to choose where you put whatever money it is and whatever attention you have.
1: Yeah. This is this is an aside, and I actually thought you would maybe address this, but uh, I, I guess maybe you wouldn't because you're not in these subreddits. So I follow these subreddits that are focused on like Asian American culture. And I honestly follow it more out of interest because it's hard for me to identify with them, both growing up in Canada and also not living in America. But there's a lot of talk about how this whole deal brought out a lot of cynophobia, like just anti-China sentiment.
0: I'm not on those subreddits.
1: Yeah, I didn't think you were. Like, I, I follow them more just out of interest because I think that it's a good exercise in identity, I guess. I think that's part of my initial interest is like how people kind of form an identity when, let's say, that you don't have anyone to sort of group yourselves with in terms of like the real world, like... How do you go and create that? And obviously, there's certain people that have found some sort of community online. I mean, goes without saying. But the xenophobia part was interesting because now it's to the point where this, the divisions, happen so quickly because it, it almost felt as though. Reddit was overcome with Sinophobia.
0: Okay, it's xenophobia,
1: it's, by the way. No, 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 no. Si- no, xenophobia. Like China. Oh, Anti-China. China specific.
0: Not just foreign. Yeah.
1: Cino, sino. Yeah, oh, okay. S-I-N-O. Sorry. I
0: really thought you were trying to say xenophobia, but saying it poorly. How dare
1: you? How dare you think I'm that stupid?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. For once. Yeah. Hey, sometimes you say
1: words wrong. All right. All right. I do. Sinophobia. Xenophobia. Yeah. So it's, yeah, like... And it, what, what was the outcome of that was a lot of people posting Tiananmen Square documentaries that obviously you wouldn't be able to see in China. But it's more like, hey, these are the people that are investing into Reddit. Be careful.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would be careful. I'm Chinese. So, I don't know. I, I'm not saying because I'm Chinese, I get a pass for saying this. I guess I am. I think I get more of a pass than if I wasn't Chinese. But I think you should... I think people, especially companies, should deal with China with skepticism and caution, especially when it goes to the level of Tencent, which, like I said, is aligned really closely with the Chinese government. And yeah, they they are the perpetrators of the Tiananmen Square massacre. And that hasn't changed. All of this to say, because the CCP is like that, you know, deal with the CCP carefully. It is what it is. Um, CCP, Chinese Communist Party. But that doesn't mean all Chinese people are the Chinese government. And Sinophobia is dangerous when it is applied widely to everyone who is Chinese without criticism. We can be critical mm-hmm. of governments and accepting of a person regardless of their ethnicity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I need to hold my tongue, and you know, you look at people that are actually truly courageous and standing up to to regimes, and you're like, man, like, are you like that? That's really admirable because, like, to that point, you 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 think you can be critical of a government, but I think you just need to be very careful. What do you mean by careful? Like in careful in terms of what you say. Like you can look look at some of the some of the the certain political regimes that are going on in the world right now and what happens when you say the wrong thing. Yeah. I
0: don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if I, I don't know if I have that courage.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't, I guess the, the lesson, which I don't know if I hammered home clearly enough is be critical of governments, but not people. Forgiving towards people,
1: critical of governments. If you're interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, visit us at macon.com. M-A-E-K-A-N.
0: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing your favorite episode with a friend.
1: Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at eugene at macon.com. E-U-G-E-N-E. Or Sharice, C-H-A-R-I-S, at Megan.com. We love hearing your feedback. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.